Today on Regionally Speaking, October 11th is National Coming Out Day. The day honors and supports lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer people, and they're coming out of the closet to proudly be their true selves. We'll spend the hours speaking with LGBTQ community members as well as allies, sharing their thoughts on why this day is so important. Troy Stevenson from The Trevor Project shares information on resources that are available for LGBTQ plus youth. Barb Langle with the First Unitarian Church of Hobart discusses the intersectionality of faith and the LGBTQ plus community. But up first, we speak with Elizabeth Manning with PFLAG Crown Points. All of that's on this edition of Regionally Speaking After the News. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. National Coming Out Day is recognized October 11th. It is celebrated to commemorate the first March on Washington for lesbian and gay rights, which took place October 11th, 1987. The day was celebrated the following year, and by 1990, it was observed in all 50 states. Joining us today is Elizabeth Minning, the president for PFLAG Crown Point. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. So, Elizabeth, you're here today to raise awareness about National Coming Out Day. But before we get started, for our listening audience that may not be familiar, what is PFLAG? Uh, PFLAG is a national organization that's about 50 years old. It is designed to help educate, support, advocate for family members, parents, families, friends of people who are in the LGBTQ community. And we serve that population as well as members of the community themselves. There's over 400 chapters throughout the nation, and our chapter is one of those. So we're speaking about National Coming Out Day. Coming out is a big and personal decision. Coming out is a lifelong journey of understanding, acknowledging, and sharing one's gender identity and sexual orientation with others. It may be quick and easy for some, or even longer or more difficult for others. And for anyone considering coming out, I can only imagine that one of the concerns or even fears is that they won't know how people will respond until that time comes. So my question to you, Elizabeth, is what can allies in the region do to support members of the LGBTQ plus community? That's a great question, The One thing that first comes to mind is designating themselves as a safe space, somebody safe to come to, to talk to, and that can be done just by the things that you say and do, not making microaggressions against the LGBTQ community, wearing a rainbow pin, putting a rainbow sticker in your window, or, you know, just even an all are welcome sticker in your window or on your work cubicle. Just, you know, kind of putting it out there, subtly or not subtly, that you're there to help people and that they can talk to you. Now, speaking of support, Elizabeth, so I'm not sure if you heard about this, but at a recent Lake Central School Board meeting, a parent brought a poster that she found in a classroom and she spoke out against its contents. Now, I should say that included on the poster were the words Black Lives Matter, Science is Real, and Love is Love, just to name a few. And after allowing her to speak, the school district superintendent shared that the signs were up to just try to get people to be more kind and gentle towards one another. 
which he felt, and I do agree, we certainly all need right now. And then he goes on to say, and I quote, so if we can be nicer to each other, if those messages promote kindness, I'm all for it, end quote. Now, a recent poll conducted by the National School Climate Survey concluded that nearly 60% of LGBTQ plus students feel unsafe because of their sexual orientation, that 77% avoided school functions, And 35% skipped school because they felt unsafe. So I'll pose this question to you. In what seems to be an attempt to restrict the voice of LGBTQ plus students, with some even questioning the need for a National Coming Out Day, what do you say? I think the National Coming Out Day is uh, crucial. It mainstreams the, the whole concept of coming out. Not everybody is comfortable coming out. Not everybody feels safe coming out. But it does create that space in which, you know, it can be a special day for somebody and knowing that other people uh, around the country are doing the same thing. It's kind of tragic when people misinterpret posters like that. Um, It really is just about being kind and respectful to everybody, no matter whether they're the same as you or not. And I really think there is this need for the coming out day. We're speaking with Elizabeth Minning, the president for PFLAG Crown Point. Elizabeth, so I say this quite often, but it's something that I believe is true, and that is that representation matters. Elliot Page, Laverne Cox, and even rapper Lil Nas X are just a few examples of advocates and queer representation in the entertainment industry. So what you say that when you see representation like that on your television screen, the society is more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I do and I don't. (laughs) I think in general, yes, but there is a divisiveness and there are some very outspoken people who are not supportive and often the outspoken people get, you know, more attention. But I think in general, especially with the upcoming generations, it is becoming more of a, it is being more accepted. And people realize that everybody is unique and individual and that things like their gender identity or sexual orientation don't matter. They don't, I mean, they don't matter, you know, to others. They definitely matter to that individual, but it shouldn't threaten anybody. You know, who you are is who you are. And if everybody's kind and respectful, then it just creates a better society. Now, Elizabeth, as I'm listening to you respond to that, when you shared that, you know, for this generation, coming out appears to be a lot easier. Can we kind of counter that with coming out for members of the LGBTQ community today with the day and age in which your wife came out? I mean, I can talk to that. I'm an ally as well. My wife, who is a transgender woman, and it's there's a lot more social, you know, as she was growing up. And even as I was growing up, there's just a lot less known about it, a lot a lot less voice given to it, the whole concept of being LGBTQ. So it's kind of this big mystery. And anytime there's a big mystery, there's a lot of fear. And so I think as it does become more mainstream, that's what makes it easier for the younger generations. You know, just knowing that there's something as as being transgender or knowing that there's a a valid non-binary identity, you know, really just helps people be comfortable in that. Whereas people in the older generations just have so much more social stigma that they are having to fight, whether it's internal or external. What kind of resources does your organization, PFLAG Crown Point, offer for region residents? Another great question. The main thing that we offer is support group meetings. We have three meetings for adults during the month and two for the teens. We've just started this month. We're starting a teens group at the Munster Library. 
So we're very excited about that. We have the first few months of activities and discussions planned out. We've been meeting at the Merrillville Library with the teens, and uh, that's a great program as well. We've got that one planned out for the next few months. And then our adults meetings, we have one virtual meeting every month. So if people, you know, cannot travel to Crown Point or Munster, then they can join us on Zoom. And then we meet at the Crown Point Library once a month, and we're going to be starting to meet at the Munster Library once a month. And those are really great times to talk with other people, you know, who are either going through the same experience as you or who have gone through similar experiences, who think the same way, who think different ways. It's a really great opportunity for education and support and community building. Elizabeth, so it sounds like a lot of your meetings are hosted in Lake County. Are the meetings exclusive to community members that live in Lake County? Not at all. No, anybody, the meetings are open. Anybody from any locale can attend them. And there are, you know, of course, PFLAG chapters in Valparaiso and Michigan City and Chicago, but we're open to all. So, Elizabeth, PFLAG Crown Point plays host to a lot of events as well as meetings to support LGBTQ plus community members. And that work requires a team of volunteers. So for anyone that would like to connect with you, volunteer with your organization, or would just like more information on upcoming events and or meetings, how can they connect with you? Well, first place would be our website, and they can also call or text. Our phone number is 219-216-1356, and the website is www.pflagcp-nwi.org. And we would be more than happy to have volunteers helping out, having allies and members attending meetings and uh, other events, as well as we're looking for board members and officers. Elizabeth Manning, a proud ally, is the president of PFLAG Crown Point. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Great. Well, thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed it. Joining us today to discuss how we can support youth members of the LGBTQ community is Troy Stevenson, Senior Campaign Manager for The Trevor Project, the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ plus young people. Troy, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you so much for having me. Troy, so you're here with us today to talk about how community members right here in Northwest Indiana can support as well as serve as an ally for LGBTQ plus youth. But before we get into that, can you please share what is the Trevor Project and what was the genesis of this organization? Sure thing. Uh, The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ youth. We offer 24-7 and free crisis services help via phone, lifeline, text, and chat. So we also run a service called Trevor Space, which is a social networking site for LGBTQ youth. It's limited to 23 and under and operates an innovative education research and advocacy program. We do as a totality, and technology programs. So the genesis of the organization was just over 20 years ago, there was a film that highlighted the bullying aspects that were going on. And in putting this short film out, the founders realized that there was a need for crisis services for suicide intervention and prevention. So that was where we grew from. And we've grown over the years to be to the world's largest from that, that, that small genesis. So, Troy, you just mentioned that the Trevor Project offers access to a crisis counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think that I saw that that is via online chat, text message, or even a phone call. 
This crisis line allows LGBTQ plus youth access to a trained counselor if they are struggling to find answers as well as information, but also allies are able to utilize this crisis line to get tips and tools that they may need to help someone else. So I can only imagine that this crisis line provides a safe space. Do you know on average how many youth take advantage of this crisis line? Hundreds of thousands every year. So it is ramping up year after year. And as I'm sure you could guess, uh, as as these negative aspects of legislation around the country have, have ramped up, we've seen um, increases. So we're there for young people, regardless of what's going on in their community, to make sure that, that they do have that safe space to come to. And like you said, and I said earlier, we even have over the years created more usable systems for, for young people because a lot of youth, especially LGBTQ youth, aren't as comfortable using a telephone because in their home, they can't always be as vocal. And being able to use text and chat has allowed them to be safer in in seeking help to prevent suicide. Well, you know, Troy, I never even considered the, the safety and security, being able to communicate via text or online chat, what that would provide for youth. So, so thank you for adding that. I never even considered that. Continuing on for just a moment. So, you know, I shared that I spent a lot of time going over the Trevor Project's website because there are just mounds upon mounds of information available on the website on everything from sexual orientation. And I also stumbled upon the guide, the Coming Out Handbook, that offers tools to help young people not only understand, but also express their identity. And one thing I learned in that is that there is really no one specific way to come out. So can you just take a moment to just kind of unpack what this resource has meant to help youth come out on their own terms? I mean, I think it is a process for every individual. And I mean, I look forward to a day where people don't have to come out, where, you know, where cisgender and, and straight folks don't don't have to come out as, as who they are. So I look forward to when we don't either. But it's just really important that, that young people especially are allowed to come out at their own pace and in a safe environment. So that's what we work every day through our advocacy research education programs to, to try and make the world a little safer for especially young LGBTQ youth. So, Troy, you just said something that I hope our listeners didn't miss. You shared that you look forward to the day when members of the LGBTQ community don't have to, quote unquote, come out. So what can allies do to support teen members of the LGBTQ plus community? Once again, it's, it's the creation of that, that safe space for them. We have found through our research that, that just one affirming adult, one supportive adult, can uh, exponentially decrease the likelihood of suicide amongst youth. Our 2022 national survey on LGBTQ youth mental health has found that 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the last year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. So if you think about it, if a reduction of approximately 40% likelihood of suicide attempts is because one person in their life supports them. That goes up if it's a parent, that goes up if it's a family member. You know, that that is such a vital resource. That's how someone can be an ally, is making sure that that young person doesn't feel alone in that coming out process. I remember myself in, in the 90s, late 90s, when I was just coming out, there was such a great fear. It wasn't safe. I was in suburban Oklahoma City, didn't know how my family re- reacted, didn't know how others would react. And, you know, my first boyfriend had been subjected to sexual orientation change efforts, which is a, they call it conversion therapy, and ended up completing suicide. One of the reasons being because of the fear of that rejection, the fear of being sent back into conversion therapy. And 
I think that's what a lot of folks face over the years. We've seen a lot more accepting folks and, and, and a lot more elevation of the issue, a lot more representation in media, but it still takes that one-on-one human contact of, of somebody saying, it's okay to be you, to, to really help. And that's the most important thing we can do is, is really create a society, work towards creating a society that, that is supportive. And being an ally in the home, at school, in a local community uh, is, is one of the things that do that. We see over 40% of, of homeless youth or youth that are housing insecure are part of the LGBT community when probably five or six percent of the population are are LGBTQ. So that just shows the amount of family rejection and, and fear that's out there. So once again, I think the most important thing people can take away is making sure that, that they are that accepting person. And the more the more accepting people that are in the lives of, of young queer youth, the, the lower the likelihood that, that they will end up facing suicidality. Troy, let me just pause for a second and thank you for that moment of transparency and vulnerability. Sharing your personal story, the personal story of your first boyfriend who sadly was successful in completing suicide. I really and truly believe that that story will help at least one person who's listening to us today. Okay, so let's just sit right here and speak about family rejection, right? Parents of teens, and I'm the parent of of several teens. And so I can attest to how difficult it is just to communicate with your teenager just in general, right? But for parents of LGBTQ plus youth, can you offer some do's and don'ts for when their child comes out to them? You know, are there words that they should and should not say? Once again, the most important part is creating an accepting and safe environment. One of the the worst things that can happen for a young person is family rejection, and that can come in many forms. It's not always just being uh, removed from the home or kicked out of a home, but it can be uh, social isolation. It can be many things, and it's just important to make sure they know they're loved and they're accepted and they can be who they are. One of the other most important things is to educate yourself. I think more and more we people in society realize that that their child could be LGBTQ, and it's it's something that I think more folks need to educate themselves on generally to just be there to listen and to watch for signs of fear and depression in in their child, and making sure that that once again that safe and accepting space is there when they do decide if they do decide to come out. We're speaking with Troy Stevenson, Senior Campaign Manager for The Trevor Project. Would you say the society is more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community? I think we see more acceptance every day. I think that we see greater acceptance, and with greater acceptance, we see greater pushback in some cases from a very vocal minority of people. So what you're you're seeing in legislation that's being presented across the country, uh, especially this last two years and really going back for a decade and more, is that as representation and as acceptance grow, Sometimes that that also includes some negative reactions. So that is also one of the reasons that we at the Trevor Project are there to make sure that they have that young people have twenty four seven access to crisis services, and why our uh, advocacy department and our research department do such amazing work in pushing back against this kind of legislation and in showing the truths that are out there in research and and what things like family acceptance and the acceptance of a single individual can do to save the lives of the young people in their lives. 
So in May, the Trevor Project issued a statement condemning the override of a veto of Indiana House Bill 1041, which would restrict transgender women as well as girls from playing on school sports teams that match their gender identity. The bill makes Indiana the eighth state to ban trans youth from playing sports in 2022 by legislative action and the 16th in the country. Sam Ames, director of advocacy and government affairs at the Trevor Project, is quoted as saying, Governor Holcomb was the second governor this year to uphold the dignity of transgender and non-binary youth and veto an attempt by lawmakers to write them out of existence. He goes on to say, while those young people continue to face unrelenting political attacks, the Indiana legislator voted to override his act of courage and compassion, pushing these marginalized youth even further to the sidelines, end quote. According to a poll conducted by Morning Consult on behalf of the Trevor Project, 85% of transgender and non-binary youth and two-thirds of all LGBTQ youth say recent debates restricting the rights of transgender people have negatively impacted their mental health, while research shows that transgender and non-binary youth who have access to gender-affirming spaces report lower levels of attempting suicide. The debate over inclusion of transgender athletes, particularly women and girls, has become a political flashpoint especially among conservatives. So how does the Trevor Project plan to offer support for trans youth in Indiana that will be affected by this veto? Well, we have been active in pushing back against legislation across the country that, that attempts to, to stigmatize and remove student-athletes from being able to participate in sports. The, the health and mental health benefits of young people being able to participate openly and honestly in, in sport are well-proven. I mean, it's, once again, the type of rejection that we were talking about earlier, but not just rejection of, of a parent, but this is the rejection of, of lawmakers. They're rejecting their identity. They're rejecting who they are and saying that they shouldn't be taking part in one of the most fundamental aspects of a young person's life, and that is competitive sports in schools. So what we do is we, our advocacy department, works with organizations across the country and works to educate lawmakers to stop this kind of legislation. In this case, unfortunately, the legislature and the governor of Indiana have gone forward and made this law, but we, our crisis services are there to make sure that those young people are supported. And there is an organization called Gender Nexus that we work with in or in Indiana that does amazing work, especially with trans youth. And, and that is a resource that I think more folks should know about. They are one of the organizations we work most closely with. So I think making sure that, that youth are supported through crisis services and making sure that we're doing what we can is the next step. But we will continue to work in Indiana and across the country to do the type of public education, public engagement, and, and public affairs work that, that will hopefully stop things like this from happening in the future. And we will work to change hearts and minds and, and, and educate lawmakers and hopefully bills like this can be repealed in coming years. And finally, Troy, so I shared earlier with you that I spent a lot of time looking at the Trevor Project's website, and I stumbled upon Trevor Space, and I found that quite interesting. Can you just take a moment to share what this online community is? Well, I mean, I can describe it in a way. I am, I am well outside the, 
the target demographic. Can't actually use Trevor Space myself, but it is very much restricted to youth. So it's it's a safe space for youth to talk to each other without you know the worries that many would have about being outed about about things like that. So it is much like other forms of social media, except monitored to assure bullying and things don't happen. Our team is very intentional in making sure it's a very safe space for young people to interact with one another. So Troy, I thank you for spending time with me speaking about your organization, The Trevor Project. Thank you so much for having me. I truly enjoyed it. Troy Stevenson is the Senior Campaign Manager for The Trevor Project. You can find more information about The Trevor Project by visiting www.trevorproject.org. I'm Dee Dodson, and welcome back to Regionally Speaking. Continuing our conversations, recognizing National Coming Out Day, a time to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community, as well as a time to reflect on the movement that continues to push for full and equal rights. Lakeshore Public Radio is dedicated to inclusion and diversity in every aspect of our community. Joining us now to talk about the intersectionality of faith and the LGBTQ plus community is Barb Langle, member and vice president of the board of directors at First Unitarian Church of Hobart. Barb, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. So, Barb, you are a board member and worship leader at the First Unitarian Church of Hobart. For those that may be unfamiliar with your church and denomination, can you take a moment to share? And please explain the growth and membership within the LGBTQ plus community. Well, we are a very diverse community, and we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We believe in justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. We have people that have grown up in the Unitarian Church. We're a small congregation of about 70 people with about 70 friends. We have Buddhists, Christians, atheists naturalist. We all respect each other's beliefs and we try to grow together. So as I shared in my opening, today marks National Coming Out Day and it's a day all about self-love and individuality. But sometimes we forget about members of our community that don't have an easy time coming out, especially if you come from a conservative religious upbringing. So I could not help but wonder how your church offers support to members of the LGBTQ plus community. We do have gay people in our membership, and we do have a lot that come and visit us. We try to make them feel welcome, and we encourage anybody that has anybody, especially the younger people, the, the teenagers now, to come to us. We have a flag outside that they could see that they know it's a safe place. We have the, the LBGC flag out flying outside. Oh, that's really great. And so I'm certain that it can be seen from quite a distance. So that's actually really wonderful. Barb, you're here today to discuss the intersectionality of faith and the LGBTQ plus community. The relationship between religion and the LGBTQ plus community is a complicated one, but everyone experiences it differently. Now, for some, sexuality was considered a sin in need of healing an aberration to be tolerated at best, but members of the LGBTQ plus community don't want to be tolerated. They want to be loved, correct? Oh, yes, we are very inclusive. We believe in Black Lives Matter, gay rights, women's rights, taking care of the planet and our earth. They, they will be welcome and loved in our community. I understand that earlier this year, you served as the guest speaker for a special sermon entitled Then and Now, Moving Forward. If you will, please take a moment to tell us about this message. 
for the past three years, we've been looking for a minister. We have finally found one. He will be joining us in August. But in the meantime, we have members of the congregation or we call in other ministers to serve, to have to do a sermon. Now, I being on the worship committee, I do at least one sermon a week, and I'm doing one for, for the Pride Month. And it, what I've done is, is interviewed and talked to and researched how gay rights were for teenagers 50 years ago, approximately 20 years ago, approximately, and now. And I will be speaking about that in this sermon. We're speaking with Barb Langle of the First Unitarian Church of Hobart about the intersectionality of faith and the LGBTQ community. So, Barb, I recently spoke with a representative from the Trevor Project, and he mentioned conversion therapy as a method used to, to quote-unquote, deliver his boyfriend from homosexuality. And I should note for our listening audience, conversion therapy refers to a range of dangerous and discredited practices aimed at changing one's sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. So, Barb, can you share your thoughts on this practice? I think that's terrible. I didn't know they were still doing that. I know years ago when I was a teenager, and and I'm in my 70s, I knew then I had some gay friends, and I knew then that they would try to send them somewhere because they thought they were crazy. Um, that's, that's unbelievable they're still doing that. That just hurts me deeply. And finally, Barb, for those that are interested in listening to your sermon then and now moving forward, or they would like more information about the First Unitarian Church of Hobart, where can they search? Our website is firstunitarian-hobart.org. And we do stream every service live on YouTube, our website, and Facebook. Plus, it's recorded so it could be listened to anytime. And we encourage all to come and join us. Barb Langle is Vice President for the Board of Directors for the First Unitarian Church of Hobart. Barb, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Okay, thank you for having me. Have a good day. As we continue to recognize National Coming Out Day... The day aimed to raise awareness of both the LGBTQ plus community and the civil rights movement and to advocate for a person's mental health and identity, we bring back our conversation with Holly Mokretsky, practice manager with LPA Counseling, about the counseling services available for LGBTQ community members right here in the region. Here's the conversation. May was Mental Health Awareness Month, and, uh, and that's the reason that we wanted to bring you on to the conversation uh, on Regionally Speaking here was to talk about uh, counseling services that are available for members of the LBGTQ plus community because so often you hear these these heart-wrenching stories of uh, of kids, of, of adults, of you know, neighbors and friends and classmates who just don't have the opportunity to express who they are. Um, can you talk about what what counseling is like or I guess, you know, how to, you know, how to be able to reach out to somebody that you know might be LBGTQ plus and need help and need counseling and need an avenue? Absolutely. To be honest with you, approaching anyone that you think might be in need of counseling is really kind of handled the same and it's as a suggestion. You know, you want to suggest to somebody, maybe by telling them what the benefits of counseling are. You know, counseling is a safe place for you. It's a place where you're going to be supported. It's a place where they're going to help you work on any, you know, 
symptoms of depression or needs for coping skills, you know, help you to re- reduce the anxiety and build your self-esteem and your self-worth, show you that there are people that care about you and help you build yourself as a whole for a better quality of life. So we tell people all the time, just say, hey, we know these people, you know, that all of our staff work with the LGBTQ plus community. It's not one therapist or another therapist. All 12 of our therapists are trained in working with that community to help with whatever avenue people are struggling with. And a lot of times people don't necessarily understand what avenue they're struggling with. They could be part of the LGBTQ plus community and be struggling with something totally different, but not realizing, you know, that may be the case. Um, it could be, you know, maybe they're having gender gender identity issues or questions and they don't know who to turn to or, you know, what questions to kind of ask themselves. And that's something that, you know, the processes will all guide them through. What's going on? What are we looking at? Where are we looking to go from here to help them build themselves to a stronger person? You know, show them how to have a support network and teach them the skills for that. So it sounds like um, that the opportunity is there, but I guess people may not always necessarily know that the opportunity exists. Can you walk us through, maybe not necessarily a therapy session, but can you walk us through sort of uh, what what some of those things entail in terms of building up that self-confidence and that self-worth and and being able to uh, represent themselves in their true fashion and they can identify with who they are. Absolutely. A lot of times it's helping people to truly discover who they are um, by giving them a safe place where they're free to have those thoughts and free to have those feelings. And then as they're figuring that out and kind of growing within themselves, you know, the therapist is there supporting them and helping them with their self-confidence. That support is going to naturally build their self-confidence in order to, you know, kind of come out of their shell, so to speak. So if somebody in the LBGTQ plus community is looking for a therapist or looking for therapy, um, what are some key identifiers that they should be looking for um, knowing that obviously therapy is a safe place, but I, I, I think it's important that they're able to find somebody or an organization that truly understands where they're coming from. Is there, is there, you know, is there keywords that they should be Googling? Is there, or are there phrases that they should know about? Are there identifying symbols on your website or somebody else's website to inform them that, uh, you know, your organization is an ally for, for them? We do have language on our website that lets them know that we are an ally, but they want to be open and honest. You know, if they're looking for gay issues, they want to say, you know, maybe it's a gay couple looking for couples counseling. They want to let, you know, whatever place they're contacting, they want to be as open and honest as to what they're looking for. Not every therapist works with members of the LGBTQ plus community. So they want to make sure that they're finding one that does. And it's okay to ask somebody right off the bat, do you work with gender identity? Do you work with, you know, same-sex couples? Do you work with trans individuals, you know, that's perfectly fine to ask because you want to make sure any therapist you're going to start working with is not only trained, but prepared to handle what you're looking for. Right. I think that's really important to, you know, be able to have that outlet and that, uh, that resource available. Pride is a, is a celebration for members of the LBGTQ plus community across the country. Um, unfortunately, across the country, we are also seeing a lot of anti-gay 
not only rhetoric, but laws being put into place as well. Most recently, uh, Florida with Don't Say Gay, Texas with conversion therapy, and uh, possibly getting parents arrested for raising a trans child. What kind of added pressure does this put on to members of the LBGTQ plus community when it comes to mental health and, and seeing, you know, I... I you know, I can't even use the bathroom in my school. You know, I can't, I can't even identify, you know, I, I can't tell my, my coworkers I want to be called a different name or I want, to, I want to be identified as they, them versus he, him. What is that process like for, for those members when, when they're seeing this all around them at, at places that some of them, I think, probably thought that they were safe, whether it was a school, whether it was a place of employment? Right. To be honest, I can't even attest to what these members of our community are going through at this point. It feels as though society's kind of backslid, you know, decades of progression and acceptance. We've kind of just undone, or some of these politicians, you know, through legislature have completely undone all the progress that has been made for the LGBTQ plus community. And I feel like it's, you know, taking those community members back to a point where now they don't feel safe again. You know, we've done so much work to get them to the point where, you know, they're safe bathrooms, like you were saying, and people, you know, they feel comfortable expressing their pronouns. I think there needs to be a lot more building, rebuilding of that. You know, the areas of the communities that are still safe and still supportive, you know, step up say it, you know, bring that, bring that to your public and let them know, you know, we can't change this legislature, but we are a safe people. We are a safe place. We will support you. We will help you. And I, I think that's, that's really important uh, to be able to, to hear those words. We're talking with Holly McCretsky, practice manager with LPA Counseling here on Regionally Speaking as we discuss mental health issues with regards to members of the LBGTQ plus community. Holly, not quite dealing with the LBGTQ plus community, but times are tough for everybody, um, you know, on every side of the aisle as well, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, whether you're straight, whether you're gay, whether you're non-binary, um, you know, food's going up, gas prices are going up. Uh, sometimes mental health counseling, when you really need it the most, isn't even in the budget. Um, how how can individuals... Uh, work on, you know, being able to get mental health counseling when they're having a hard time just filling up the cat bowl next to the, uh, you know, the kitchen counter, let alone their own refrigerator. You are right. We feel the struggle and we see the struggle every day. One thing LPA has always done, we partner with regional universities for their master's level counseling programs, whether it's mental health counseling, marriage and family counseling, or social work. And we get their grad students for their final internship. So they come into our practice. They work with us for two full semesters seeing clients. When they walk out of our door, they are a therapist. So they're walking out of our door, they're graduating, boom, they're a therapist. So while they are with us, they're able to provide therapy for free to anyone who cannot afford those services, whether they can't meet their deductible, they don't have insurance, they can't afford those co-pays, they can take advantage of us having those interns. We also do fundraising. Every year we host an event called Strides Against Suicide and Overdose, where we have four different bike rides as well as a 5K walk and run. 
that event raises funds to also help cover those services for clients that are seeing therapists or clinicians outside of our interns. So our interns, of course, cannot handle everybody that needs those services. There are so many people in Northwest Indiana that need those services and can't afford it. By hosting these fundraisers, we're able to raise the money to cover those services for anyone that can't get in with one of our interns. Actually, Holly, you might have answered this question with regards to uh, the staffing with interns, which I think is a really fascinating uh concept, especially uh, when we when we get into a larger conversation about education in general. But, um, you know, counseling services and everybody right now is, is having a hard time filling vacancies across, uh, across the area, whether it's, um, you know, a local fast food restaurant or even within our own building here at uh, Lakeshore Public Radio or, you know, the, the car dealership up the road. Uh, what is what is the job market like right now for for counseling services and maybe for high schoolers or college students who are listening uh, and maybe those who are in the LBGTQ plus community who realize, oh, I, I can do something to help out, uh, you know, my friends and my family and my loved ones who are going through this. You know, what what is the what is the career pipeline like? And uh, on that same note, you know, is is getting people in the building to work? Is, has that been a challenge for you during uh, this 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 pandemic? Well, we have been very fortunate throughout the pandemic. Our staff has actually continued to grow as we've been going through the pandemic because the need for services and the recognition by the general public for the need of services has grown exponentially. So our field in general has been hit really hard. We have been fortunate enough that we have been able to bring in wonderful qualified people in order to help take on that increased client load. But we are still looking. So like you said, if there are people out there, our therapists are all minimum master's level. We are here and looking. Please <laughs> come talk to me. And if, if they do want to reach out and talk to you, what's the, uh, the best way of getting a hold of you at LPA Counseling? They can email me. It's Holly, H-O-L-L-I-E, at lpacounseling.com. They can also visit our website, lpacounseling.com. And anyone looking for more information or would like to read the bios of our therapists or request an appointment can also visit that website. Holly McCretzky, practice manager for LPA Counseling, joining us here on Regionally Speaking. And of course, uh, LPA Counseling is uh, is open and available for uh, members of the LBGTQ plus community. If you or someone you know is looking for counseling, again, you can email Holly. Uh, Holly, that email address one more time. It's Holly, H-O-L-L-I-E, at lpacounseling.com. I'm going to give you our main phone number, too. That might be easier at 219-252-5464. Holly, thank you so much for joining us here on Regionally Speaking to discuss mental health issues as they relate to the LBGTQ plus community and as well for those of us uh, who aren't members of the LBGTQ plus community but still may need mental health services. Thank you. It's been wonderful to to talk to you about it today.
And that's it for Regionally Speaking for today. Thank you for joining us as we spent the hour focused on National Coming Out Day, the day aimed to raise awareness of both the LGBTQ plus community and the civil rights movement and to advocate for a person's mental health and identity. Thanks to each of our guests from the Trevor Project, Troy Stevenson, from LPA Counseling, Holly McCresky, and from PFLAG Crown Point, Elizabeth Minnie. And we'll be back with you tomorrow.